Welcome everyone to Bar Talk, the official podcast of the North Carolina State Bar. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez. We have two special guests with us today. Uh, David Allen is the current chair of the Ethics Committee. David, excited to have you joining us. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Appreciate you asking us. Absolutely. Um, we also have Brian Oten, who's Ethics Counsel, um, and he, he's a member of the staff at the State Bar uh, and serves as counsel to that Ethics Committee. Brian, thank you for joining. Thank you, Mark. Happy to be here. Great. You know, what I wanted to talk about today is a little bit about the Ethics Committee. I think a lot of lawyers in the state know generally that there is an Ethics Committee, but they may not know much about what we do. And in particular, uh, dig in a little bit to the process of how the Ethics Committee uh, goes about uh, issuing its opinions and, and that process. Let, let's start with some basic questions, maybe one to you, Brian, which is, how do people get on the ethics committee, you know, and, and how does it fit into this bigger state bar structure? Sure. Great question. So the state bar council, of course, has um, a number of different committees, but I'd say the two biggest committees are grievance and ethics. Uh, and every state bar counselor is assigned to either grievance or ethics. And so that's where the bulk of our uh, committee membership comes from. However, the ethics committee, I think, is unique uh, as compared to other committees in that we have a lot of advisory members that serve on the ethics committee. These advisory members are appointed by the president of the state bar, uh, and the president really looks to the advisory members to provide uh, some additional uh, breadth of experience, maybe some, some different practice areas that are not ordinarily represented uh, through the state bar council. Um, a lot of times we'll have uh, a number of family lawyers and criminal practitioners, but maybe we don't have a lot of real property practitioners. Uh, this, that's where the advisory members can step in and, and really offer some additional insight for the ethics committee. Gotcha. Sounds good. Now, David, how long have you been uh, serving on the ethics committee? Uh, Mark, I've been on the ethics committee, it, it seems like forever. Um, I believe I'm somewhere around the Millard Fillmore uh, administration. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my I, recollection too, right? That was before they had typewriters or anything. Oh, I still have my quill pen and inkwell. Um, <laughs> I think I've been on the ethics committee, I believe this is my uh, my 12th year. I served six years as a, as a counselor and then was an advisory member for three years. And then I think I've been on there four years since then, but I, it's something like that. And this is my third year as chair. So I've, I've been around the ethics committee and the ethics process a, a long time. It's a, and it's a great, a great committee to work with. A lot of good lawyers. For, for lawyers that have never sat in, and I should ask, it's true, isn't it? This is open to the public. If people want to come back in the days when we had them in person, obviously we've been meeting via Zoom lately, uh, but they could come in person. And now is there a way that if they wanted to, to watch it, Brian, is that something that folks can do now? Absolutely. That's been one of the silver linings to the whole COVID shutdown. While our in-person meetings have been shut down, we have been, uh, which forced us to meet by Zoom, we've been given the opportunity to use the Zoom platform to live stream our meetings. So right now we are streaming our Zoom meeting, or our, excuse me, our ethics committee meetings, uh, along with other state bar committee meetings through the North Carolina State Bar's YouTube page. So anybody that wants to take a look, uh, listen to the conversation, watch the debate, can log on there uh, at the time of the meeting and they can watch it live or they can check it out after the meeting has occurred because we save a, a, the archived recording of that meeting uh, on that page. That's fantastic. And Mark, I will just, do we add there that in the past, 
we would we would normally have maybe half a dozen visitors physically present for any one meeting. Usually they had some stake in one of the questions or wanted to be heard on one of those. But now we're getting dozens of and dozens of folks who are who are watching us. That's terrific. Um, David, for those of folks that have never listened in or, or attended, can you give our audience a sense of what the dynamics like? What what happens uh, in the meetings in terms of who's talking and what type of things you guys are are working on? Well, I know we're going to talk about inquiries um, in, in a little bit and how those come about, but all of our discussions start with an inquiry, and an inquiry is just a question, a ethical question that's been raised from some source. Um, and we appoint a subcommittee to look at that uh, ethics inquiry. And the inquiry will be, um, here's a fact scenario, uh, lawyer A wants to know about this, and um, what, what, sh what advice can the state bar give to lawyer A? And that's really our purpose. The ethics committee is to sign to try to give guidance to the lawyers. So the subcommittee will have, uh, with staff's help, will draft an opinion. That will come back to the ethics committee which then will debate the opinion. It will have been published to the, uh, to the ethics committee uh, a week, 10 days, maybe two weeks before our meeting, and, that, and also sent to a number of the, of the voluntary bars. Um, and then there'll be a discussion at the ethics committee about that. The council members will discuss it, the advisory members, everybody on the committee will have a chance to have their say. And then visitors um, who have an interest in that, sometimes we get law professors um, one of the, uh, we've been fortunate when we were live, Campbell occasionally, uh, Bobby Joe would bring her at her professional responsibility committee, excuse me, class over to uh, the ethics committee to watch us work. And so we'll get inquiries from, and participation from visitors as well. That's great. Um, uh, Brian, if, if someone wants to submit an inquiry or they have an ethics question, what, what are the options for, for you know, submitting those? Who, who gets to submit them? What kind of topics? And is it by phone or email or letter? What, what, how does it come in? Sure. I guess the answer is really all of the above. Uh, people can submit, any lawyer can submit an ethics question to ethics staff. Uh, and that is really where it all begins. And sometimes it's a, just a conversation between staff and the inquiring lawyer about, what type of advice are you looking for? A lot of times, uh, lawyers are just looking for informal advice on a particular issue that's really specific to their practice and their circumstance, and they may not be looking for a full ethics opinion. Um, and, and we can provide that advice. It's not to say that every time you submit an inquiry, we're going to go ahead and write an opinion uh, and make it public. Uh, but um, if we hear the inquiry uh, and that inquiry is either a novel idea or novel question that we haven't answered before, or perhaps if we realize this is the fifth person asking this question over the past few weeks, this may be an issue that the ethics committee should take a look at. So we basically start the process from there and, and ask the person, would you mind uh, maybe making this a formal ethics opinion? Of course, if a lawyer is really looking for a formal ethics opinion, they can just straight up call the state bar, ask to talk to ethics staff, or email us and say, I'm requesting a formal ethics opinion, and we'll start that process. That's great. And I'd remind our listeners, I mean, you can find this by Googling North Carolina State Bar Ethics Hotline, but the, you can call 919-828-4620. Call now. Lines are active now. <laughs> uh, for, you know, and we've got some specials. You get two questions for the price of one uh, if you call in the next 24 minutes. 
Um, but uh, it, we do get a lot of calls, over a thousand calls to the ethics hotline most yeah. quarters. So yeah. uh, they are there. You can also email ethicsadvice at ncbar.gov. And I know you guys get a lot of inquiries and spend a lot of time answering those and helping lawyers understand uh, the rules. But I take it not all of those end up going before the ethics committee. Is that, is that right? That's, that's correct. There's a, a lot of things that are just specific to a particular situation. And, and lawyers are just looking for that quick advice uh, for what they should do in that very moment. Um, ethics opinions, because they turn out to be kind of these formal official opinion statements by the North Carolina State Bar, they go through a number of rounds of, of review and revision. Uh, so an ethics opinion typically isn't resolved in a matter of a week. It's going to be a matter of a couple of months, if not uh, a year or so. So that's, that's why it really depends on the circumstance that the lawyer finds him or herself in. If they can wait that long and they want a formal ethics opinion, then we will pursue that. But oftentimes lawyers are just looking for that advice uh, for then and now uh, sort of situation. And, and we're happy to help out however we can. That's great. Um, I, I will talk a little bit about that process of going through and becoming a formal opinion, but David, I'm wondering if you could just give our listeners a, a sample of some of the more interesting uh, questions or inquiries that the ethics committees grappled with in maybe the last three years with you as, at its helm. We had a number of cases a few years ago about um, uh, lawyers uh, who might be in romantic involvements with other lawyers. Can a, can a district attorney uh, be have a have a uh, romantic relationship with a defense lawyer can someone who appears before a, a school board for instance have a uh, have a relationship with the lawyer so we've had to deal with with issues that run the complete gamut from for instance one of your uh, a, a question that you dealt with for years was uh, lawyer evaluations uh, by computer uh, programs um, the lawyer ranking systems all the honorifics that lawyers are now uh, in, uh, able to uh, to uh, avail themselves of those are the kind of questions that come up all the time. Um, advertising um, and internet usage is something that we wrestle with on a on a quarterly basis. Every time we meet, there's a question of those. So it really runs the gamut. Neat. Well, let's talk a little bit about the 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 process and the steps. I think we've alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, but Brian, once, once you decide that there's a question that, that, you know, someone's raised that is not the run of the mill, quick answer, you know, the next day, take us, take us through that, that process a little bit so folks can understand, you know, how it goes from that to, and some of our listeners may know, you know, we issue these things called formal ethics opinions, right, and, you know, FEOs, and how, how do they come about? Let, let's start at the beginning and kind of take us through um, that process. Sure. So once we, once we realize we've got a unique issue on hand, and, and I have to say with David's summation, I can't believe uh, he didn't reference Bitcoin. Uh, we had a question <laughs> about Bitcoin. Uh, and and Thinking about yeah, the Bitcoin committee as, took out a small investment. It's done quite well. But. Right. <laughs> so, but, but when we have those sorts of things, this unique issue that we realize is, is really about to impact the profession, then the first thing that we do as staff is uh, we really just try to draft an opinion, see if we, can, if we can put an opinion together that answers the question, knowing full well that this question, this unique question needs to go before the ethics committee and, and most likely is going to need to be sent to a subcommittee for further study. Occasionally, 
we may get an issue that's so novel that we realize drafting an opinion right now is really going to be um, uh, really kind of a, an effort in futility, such as Bitcoin. Uh, we realized that we needed to learn a lot more about uh, Bitcoin and, and other you know, blockchain considerations and all those different things. So um, occasionally we will just put an issue before the ethics committee and say, this needs to be studied. We need to put a subcommittee together uh, and, uh, and sit down for the next couple of quarters, educate ourselves, and ultimately try to craft an opinion after our educational effort. Mark, let me jump in for just one minute because it may be something for the, for the listeners. Uh, I don't know much about Bitcoin and I'm happy to remain blissfully ignorant about that. But there was something on our agenda this past quarter that really is cutting edge. And that involves the use of artificial intelligence um, by lawyers in the practice. And there have been only, uh, I think, Brian, keep me right, I think there have been only two other states that have really sort of uh, entered into this area with some, with some thought about it. Right. And that's something that's coming, that's going to be a new issue for us to look at. And so, um, you know, we, we, we really are involved on some cutting edge issues that the drafters of the code didn't really anticipate uh, that we were going to have computers and internet and friending people and whether you have to, what are the obligations that come with, uh, with uh, a com the computerized and internet interconnected world that we have today. And artificial intelligence is something that's a coming tool for lawyers. And the question is, are there ethical implications for that? Um, and we got to study that. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a great point. Are all decisions published or, or is that something that the ethics committee decides whether or not to publish them? So I'd say uh, most of the, well, every formal ethics opinion has to go through a round of publication. Um, but I guess when we submit something to the ethics committee, then uh, really uh, that issue, that inquiry can take, I'll say one of maybe three paths. Um, the first path is that it could just be, uh, it could result in essentially in a, a, a letter back to the inquiring attorney. We call that an ethics advisory. Um, and it's, it's essentially just a, a letter containing the opinion gets sent back to the, uh, uh, to the attorney and it's approved by the ethics committee, but it's not, it doesn't serve as precedent or anything like that. Um, the other route is an ethics decision. An ethics decision is uh, a publication that, that the state bars ethics committee puts out there that is really to the inquiring lawyer. It has, I wouldn't say um, some sort of precedential value, but it's supposed to offer guidance to ethics staff in the future. Um, and it's, uh, it is published to the State Bar Council for approval. So it has a little bit more formal stature, but it is not the published formal opinion that you find in an FEO. If we have an inquiry, and I would say most of our inquiries that go before the committee uh, go on this formal ethics opinion pathway. When the opinion, after being studied, the inquiry gets studied by the subcommittee and the subcommittee produces an opinion that they say, we think this is the right answer. It's time to get some feedback. We publish that formal ethics opinion, the proposed opinion. We publish it to the profession uh, via the State Bar's journal. We put it on the State Bar's website. Um, of course, we use social media to let folks know that this information is out there and available for, uh, for everyone's review. Uh, and we have a period where folks can submit comments on what they think of the opinion. Do they like it? Do they hate it? Do they see the issue in a different way? Do they have something else that maybe another question that they feel needs to be addressed? And we get all that comment in and that will then, of course, uh, bring us to the point where the ethics committee may want to send a matter back to subcommittee or perhaps say, 
Well, we talked about all of that in subcommittee. We feel we've already addressed it and we're ready to move forward. If people want to comment, what's the process there? Did they send those to you, David, or Brian, or who, who do they comment to? There is an ethics um, response line, which Brian will give you the, uh, uh, the address for. What is that, Brian? It's ethicscomments at ncbar.gov. And if you can't remember that, if you just want to send them to uh, to the NC State Bar, you can drop a letter, you can drop a, an email. Uh, we'd like to have them in writing so that we can have that presented because everything that you send to us gets sent to all the committee members. If you write a comment back that says, I think this is a dumb opinion, and I've seen some of those, both dumb <laughs> opinions and some of those letters, then you know uh, that gets published to the committee um, and, and it, it works. It lets us know, first of all, that the communication uh, flow is working, that people actually read these opinions and are, and are engaged with them. And it also gives us something because no matter how hard we try and how much different opinion we try to bring to bear on every opinion, we may have blind spots. Um, it's, the, it's what you don't know you don't know that's a problem. And somebody may have pointed out something that we've overlooked. And so it's good to have lots of different viewpoints represented. That goes back to subcommittee, or we'll go back to the full ethics committee and, uh, and to decide whether to go back to subcommittee for further review or not. But that communication is vital for us and we need those comments. Now that's good to know. And, and I'd encourage our listeners to send in those comments. I mean, that's a, that's a key part of the process. Um, yeah. let, let's finish the process. So I, th I think we've walked through the, the draft, the subcommittee, the debate, the publication and the comments. Get, take us through you know, the, the last steps once those comments are received and you've got an opinion that I guess is, is done or rewritten and reconsidered. But when we're finally, when the ethics committee has published the opinion, has received comments, and then you send it back to cut subcommittee or is finalized, whenever the opinion is finalized, we send it back to the entire state bar council for adoption and uh, is presented to the council. There's discussion, a uh, chance for other counselors as Brian said, everybody's either on grievance or ethics. So sometimes grievance members have not seen the material until they come to the council uh, that day. So they've read it in the bar journal, but they get a chance to see it again. And if they have other, if they have questions, it's another chance for debate. Um, and then the matter is if it's, if the majority of the council adopts it, then it becomes a formal ethics opinion. If they don't, it could be sent back to the ethics committee for further work uh, or just die uh, because of the, of the vote down. Uh, but generally they are adopted by the full council once it's been through this lengthy process with enough review. Right. And if I can jump in, uh, just add that, you know, the, that's yet another chance for that review and the council on occasion uh, disagrees with the ethics committee. It's, it's again, very rare, but we had that a couple of years ago, there is an opinion, I believe it's now uh, known as 2018 FEO five, but it dealt with, social media considerations and, and the use of social media by a lawyer in obtaining evidence or other information that's out there. The opinion uh, went through the ethics committee subcommittee process, was studied, was debated in the ethics committee. Um, there was just really some, some great discussions around that. The ethics committee uh, ultimately produced an opinion that went to the council and the council uh, disagreed with it. Uh, there was a vote at that council meeting Send, and uh, they rejected the adoption of that opinion and sent it back to the committee. So the committee had to basically start over again and, and, and retweak that opinion uh, to produce a different outcome that was acceptable to the full council. And it's 
again, it's just that, that, that emphasis of these things are not just drafted by staff and then adopted. Um, they are hotly contested. They are studied. If we don't know anything about the particular uh, subject matter, we bring in experts. Um, again, artificial intelligence is a current one. That's a great example. Bitcoin was another great example where we brought in a lot of different experts to tell us what we were dealing with before we even put pen to paper uh, to determine exactly what the opinion should be. Brian, if lawyers want to find these old FEOs or that 2018 FEO 5, how do you find them? You can go on our State Bar website. We keep them all there. Uh, if you go on our State Bar's website and you see along the top, there's a for lawyer section and uh, you will see a little drop down box that shows uh, rules, professional conduct or just ethics information. And you can find the adopted opinions in that section. We also have an index available for those uh, adopted opinions. Um, usually I tell folks if they're looking for an opinion, go to the index first. Hopefully that will guide you through the topic uh, and, and selection of a particular opinion. That's great. And are these binding? In other words, if I read an FEO and it says it's okay, you know, to, to, do, to do this, it's okay to use social media this way, and, you know, can I rely on that? And, or, or could I still be brought up on a grievance even if I acted in accordance with the FEO? That's a great question. Uh, the, I think the, the way that our ethics opinions work is that they serve as um, the state bars attempt to guide lawyers and, and provide them the information they need to conduct themselves in accordance with the rules of professional conduct. There may be a situation where you read an ethics opinion, you figure out how to respond to a situation and you still get a grievance and you respond saying, well, I followed this ethics opinion. The grievance committee may very well say that, you know, well, the, the circumstances of that ethics opinion are different than what you're dealing with. And so they may disagree with your, your particular decision, but I'd like to think, and I, there's nothing that's formally written down about this, but I'd like to think that the grievance committee, which is made up of state bar counselors elected from across the state, will see a lawyer's good faith effort to comply with the rules of professional conduct as as perhaps a mitigating factor um, uh, in, in determining what the appropriate response is there. Um, but one thing to note is when you go to the Disciplinary Hearing Commission, for example, um, our opinions are not binding precedent the way that they are, the way that like a, a Supreme Court case or, or a Court of Appeals opinion would be on a lower, uh, uh, lower superior court. Um, they are, uh, I think, heavily persuasive secondary sources. Uh, if we, we step back into uh, law school for a second. Um, but, uh, but I think the DHC would look at an ethics opinion and say, well, this is how the ethics committee or this is how the state bar has determined uh, a particular rule should be interpreted under these particular circumstances. And we think that that's influential here. Um, I've never seen a DHC panel say, we just disagree with this ethics opinion. Uh, and therefore, lawyer, we're going to hold you guilty and disbar you, uh, even though you did everything that the ethics opinion told you to do. Uh, but uh, again, I can't say that they are binding precedent on the Disciplinary Hearing Commission, which is a completely independent tribunal. Uh, Mark, let me, let me jump in and make a plug here real quick for the ethics hotline on a similar note. Um, uh, we mentioned the ethics hotline earlier where lawyers can call the state bar with a question that they are facing in their own, in their own practice right now. If you, are, if you relate the factual situation that you're confronted with to ethics counsel, and that would be Brian, Suzanne, or Nicole, 
and you tell them the facts and they say, you should do this, or here is our advice to you. And you follow that advice and you get a grievance filed against you. It is uh, persuasive to the, to the grievance committee that you in fact call the state bar and took their advice. They will take that into account and you will, basically it's a safe harbor for you. Now, if you shaded the facts, if you said this is what happened and what really happened was something else, and you were using the state bar to try to be a shield, that's nah, a no-no, we're not letting you that happen. But if you are honest in your uh, recounting of the facts to the state bar ethics hotline, and they give you this advice and you follow that advice, that is a shield against the grievance that gets filed um, against you. And I think that's something that members should know because that's a real, that's the benefit of the ethics hotline. You get not quite instantaneous, but almost instantaneous advice and you can't be faulted if what you've done is to follow the procedure, gotten the advice of the best ethics minds in the state, and they've told you what to do, and then it turns out that that you brought up on a grievance anyway, that's pretty darn good uh, armor to have. Yeah, and I think that's even applicable um, if the grievance committee may disagree with ethics advice, uh, the ethics advice that's provided. Yes, that's a situation where um, I've been uh, told by uh, Alice that, that Tom Lunsford, our former executive director, uh, used to say that when it comes to the ethics advice that we provide, we're not always right, but we're never wrong. So that's, that's what I rest on. <laughs> great point. No, great. And good, good reminder for people to, uh, to call in. I know we're about out of time, but I wanted to give each of you a chance to see if there's anything else you wanted to add about the ethics committee, the work, other things our members of the public should know about the, uh, about the process or the committee. Let's start with you, Brian. Any, anything else that you want to share with our listeners? I would just say that, you know, the, the ethics committee um, is really, it's a great example of what self-regulation should be. You know, we are a self-regulating bar and, and that is a privilege that we have, but you need to have folks that are willing to participate and participate sincerely in that effort. And taking as the past quarter is a great example of folks, a lot of folks that wrote in disagreeing with opinions, maybe agreeing with parts of it. It's a great example of this profession investing in itself and, and trying to guide our ethics, our ethical standards in the correct direction. Um, so it's, it's truly a great thing. I would encourage everybody that's listening, if you have an opinion, submit it. Ethics Committee will take it uh, into consideration. And we frankly love hearing from everybody. Thanks, Brian. David, any, any parting thoughts? Yeah, just, you know, uh, Mark, as you know, the, the pole star of the state bar is to protect the public. And that's what we're trying to do by giving guidance to lawyers and, and how to conduct themselves in their interactions with the public, the judiciary and other members of the profession. And that's really what we're about. And every time we meet, uh, we are reminded that that's really what we're about is, is our duty to the, to the public to try to get this stuff right. And we work uh, very hard at it. And, and it helps to keep us on track when we hear these comments, not just from members of the bar, but from, from folks in the public too. So again, I encourage people to, to look at these opinions, give us their thoughts, um, and also to join us and, and watch what we do. Because I think you'll be impressed by how hard people work um, and how hard they try to, to acquit themselves of this obligation to do our job for the public. Thank you, Brian and David, for joining us. Very interesting information, uh, and I hope the public enjoyed hearing it. 
This has been Bar Talk, the official podcast of the North Carolina State Bar. You can subscribe and find prior episodes at the State Bar website. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Music, or SoundCloud. So please subscribe. We'll look forward to talking to you again next time.